Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Ever wonder what it's like to sit with a group of people and write songs for a community? Wow, that's a great song. Thank you, you guys. Appreciate it. We're going to hear a few more of them, I do believe, over the days to come. Um, for those of you who haven't met me yet, my name is Kevin. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Journey, and I get to work with the rest of the crew, and it's my great joy in life uh, most of the time. Uh, um, you've met Mike, so um, I brought some extra things along with me just to make sure I have everything. Okay, we're great. Was that me? Yes, it's me. Am I standing in the wrong spot? I'll stand over here. Um, over the last several weeks, we've been in what is called the Sermon on the Mount, and I hope that it has been inspiring to you as it has to me. Um, uncovered some things, uh, learned some things, um, learned some history, learned also a little of intent that goes with the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't been here and you haven't been a part of that series, I really want to encourage you to go online, get a chance to listen to some of those. I think it would be really, really helpful as we come into Easter. We're taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount for three weeks, and uh, we're coming back to it on April 24th, and on April 24th, we'll come back to it in chapter six, and it'll have a little different flavor because the sermon takes a shift at that point. Jesus moves us in a different direction. But with that in mind, um, I just, I, I, um, as, as a pastor and been one for a long time, it's, it's been so refreshing over the last several months is to see your prayer requests. We have paper, if you've not been with us, um, at each of our stations where you've been writing down your prayers and uh, putting them in the slots or just putting them in the give boxes, which is great. Um, and we have been praying over them over the last, well, ever since we started doing it. And as a staff, we've been touched. And, as, and it's, it's entrusting to us something of great value. What we've seen is the heart of people and what is on the hearts of people. And with that has come heartbreak, joy, um, the depth of a child's heart for what is going on in the world, um, a lot of just um, amazing things. And it is always helpful to know that, especially if you speak to a crowd, of what is going on in the hearts of people. But last week, uh, Mike had asked us to, to write down our, uh, <laughs> the people we have trouble praying for. In other words, pray for your enemies. And, uh, and the, the variety of names was spectacular and diverse. Um, the whole spectrum was on there. But there were some themes in there that we wanted to pray for this morning. Some of them were political. Some of them, uh, like there was a good third of the papers just said myself. Um, not Kevin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there wasn't a, oh boy. And you know what I mean. So, so just, uh, let's just take a moment. Let's pray for each other. I'm going to pray. Uh, pray with me. Um, and, and know that all of us are, are in some form or fashion in that same struggle 
of life, of there are people that just we struggle with. Let's pray. Jesus, we step into these moments knowing that you're at work in each individual heart, but us collectively at the same time. And with that comes our confession. Our confession is this, is that we struggle with people. We struggle with the way they treat us. We struggle with the way they talk to us. We tr struggle with the way they drive their cars. And we struggle with even ourselves and our response to those things. Sometimes we feel like we are our own worst enemy. But yet you step into this and say, pray. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray that, that we can bless one another that you would step in and bless. I, I pray for those that struggle with themselves and I pray that you will step into that and that you will minister mercy and grace to them in ways that they've never experienced it before. I pray for us as a community that we would understand that each of us have our own frailties, judgments, and struggles when it comes to people and that we would allow that but also allow for grace to minister in the midst of that, that we would pray for one another, we would encourage one another, and that we would find ourselves at awe of the work that you will do in our midst. May you help us in these days, in all our days. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Again, I just wanna thank you and I wanna encourage you again today to give us those prayers. It helps us. And I think it encourages us to pray for each other. So this morning, we're going to move into chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew. And as we lead into Easter, we wanted to talk not about how Jesus taught the kingdom of God, but how he actually embodies the kingdom of God. And, and as we step into that, we're going to, next week will be Palm Sunday, which again is the embodiment of the kingdom of God coming to fruition on the earth. And then there's the, on Good Friday, we see the ultimate step of the crucifixion and then the resurrection. And this morning, I'm kind of the bridge place of bridging between the words of Jesus and the, and the inauguration or the embodiment of the kingdom as he lived it out. And so as he talked last week, as you might recall, he talked about, you know, we need to pray for our enemies. And in the previous weeks, he talked about the juxtaposition that we often find ourselves in as followers of Christ as to how do we live in this world and yet honor the kingdom of God. Because we live in a different kind of world. The audience that was hearing the Sermon on the Mount was a, a, a turn of the way back 2,000 years ago, but in the Middle East, in a moment, a time where their country was occupied by the Romans. They also were in an agricultural economy. There was so many different things that were going on. And, and what we find is, is that a lot of the opposite things are true of us. We don't live in an agricultural culture anymore. We live in an industrial culture. We, don't, we aren't occupied by a foreign power, thank God, but they were. And Jesus steps into this moment, into that culture, and he says, I want you to live in a different way. I want you to build kingdoms in a different way. I want you to live with each other in a different way. But for us to get the relevance of that is sometimes just really hard because we want to take those words and we want to apply them direct. And some of it we can. Love your enemies is a good one. 
hard to do, but something we're called to. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Don't get angry. Don't commit adultery. We get some of this stuff. But that crowd heard it just a little different. Our culture has a tendency. I, I think America has been a, a great experiment of democracy. It's been a great experiment of wealth building. It's been a great experiment of all of those things. And, and so we find ourselves in a culture that is driven very much so by individualism, rugged individualism. Get your own. They lived in a culture that was communal. It was about the community and the people that were around them and how they all together were intertwined. We often don't think this way. We think about our family that way, but we don't think of our culture that way or our country that way. We often find ourselves thinking as individuals. And it translates into personal kingdoms. If you think about it that way, we build personal kingdoms. And all we have to do is look around and look at the internet and how the kingdoms are being built on the internet. We can look at Amazon. We can look at just social media. I don't really want to, but you can look at social media and see all the followers. People build kingdoms. It's what we do. It's what Americans are good at. But all you have to do really is look at companies like Tesla and Apple and Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft still exists and it's doing really well. <laughs> and then you look at churches and they build kingdoms. Hillsong, Will Creek, Mars Hill. And then there's political parties that build kingdoms. And then there are a million individuals, millions of individuals that build kingdoms. We are a culture that is really just built on this. And so what I did today was I brought some things from my grandkids' closet in my house that we call Duplos. Um, and all of us do this to some degree. And it's done in such a way that it's often subtle. And so I just want to give you an idea of how kingdoms are personally built. For me, for you. And it starts with our family. Our, our family is our building block. And some of you go, well, wait a minute, I had a crappy, crappy family. Yep, get that. It's still a building block. Our struggles in our family oftentimes launch us into other things. We could have a great family and we could have a crappy family, but it's still a building block. And we start there. And then we start to cultivate our talents and we start to learn things. And we, we add to that our education. Some of us add two educations. Some of us add three. But we're good at finding a way to make ourselves build a little bit of self-autonomy in a culture of individuals. We find a way. And so we find ourselves looking for more things to add to our kingdom, our tower, per se. So we get experiences, both failures and successes, and we continue to build. We learn. We make a little money along the way. We have some career successes and some failures, and we continue to build, and we continue to build. And we have some 
financial assets at some point, we get married, we have kids, we have a family of our own, and our little kingdom continues to build. And as life goes on, we make choices like, I think I'm going to have my own house, I'm going to my own business, and we keep building and building. And the question is, what are we building? Where are we going? What is this for? And nothing on that list is inherently good or bad. doesn't matter. But those blocks are what they are. And we often look at that monument to ourselves and say, I'm successful or I'm not successful. And we measure it based upon what's going on around us in this culture, our culture, the American culture. And it's not a comparison against the kingdom of God. It's just a comparison against everybody else's tower. And we gather our self-worth there. We gather our, our idea of what really life is about from that from our experience, from the blocks that we put on top of each other. And oftentimes what happens is that that's just life. That's just it. That's all there is. It's not even creative. It's just a stack of blocks. But what if it was meant to be different? What if the idea behind the blocks was never for them to be built into a tower at all? What if the idea behind the blocks was that they were actually just gifts? to be used differently, to be used in a different kind of ethic, a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of thing. This is where the collision of the kingdom of God comes in collision with our own kingdoms. All of us have a different set of blocks, all of us. And we do with them oftentimes as we will. So in Matthew 8, Jesus steps into the world. And as he steps into the world, he is the most powerful person that has ever lived. The most powerful person that has ever lived. You can't miss this. Because if you miss this, you don't understand the leverage of power. You don't understand who he is. You don't understand that God stepped down out of heaven took on flesh, and now finds himself in the midst of his creation with all the power of God at his disposal. And he steps into the world, and what does he do? He rejects every form of kingdom building he can find that the humans have put together, and he proposes a different kind of kingdom. And that's what we've been learning about over the last several months in the Sermon on the Mount. And then as he steps into that, he gives us the ethic that goes with the kingdom of God. And that ethic is called grace. 
We often miss this. We often miss the idea of grace throughout the Bible. We miss it. And I, and I have a definition for you up on the screen. And it, it reads this way. Grace is the opposite of karma. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. It is the operating system of the kingdom of God. That's grace. And as, as a culture that is immersed in this idea of computers, the operating system works because without grace, the kingdom of God doesn't work. If you don't know what karma is, it is the invention of the idea of understanding the difference between grace and karma is this. Karma is uh, a Hindu principle that says you get what you deserve. If you treat people poorly, you get it in return. If you treat them well, you get it in return. If you live into this in a particular way, you get it back. It is the idea of you reap what you sow. It's the idea of um, you get it because you live this way. It is what goes around comes around. So duck when it comes around. There is a clear understanding culturally that this is how it works. It's payback culture. It is, it is, to, say that, um, it is to say that we begin to understand collectively that the culture that we live in lives by a different ethic. And that ethic is this, you only get what you deserve. And if you're not gonna work hard, you don't get it. And on and on it goes. So, building a tower in a world that is you get what you deserve, then this becomes a possession of great wealth. This becomes something that I created, this becomes something that is very important, and don't you dare take it from me. Because it becomes my identity, it becomes how I win, it becomes all those things to me, and it's very fragile. <laughs> the truth is it is. And we hold on to it so tight. Because our culture tells us to hold on. So let's talk a little bit about grace. Let's talk about what it looks like. Let's talk about what it is to be dispensers of grace in the kingdom of God. Because really, what if these blocks were never meant to be stacked, were never meant to build towers? What if they were just meant as gifts to you? What if they were just meant to be gifts so that you might dispense grace? What if everything you've been given was meant to be used in the kingdom of God in a totally different way than what you expected? Sometimes it's hard to put them down. Sometimes it's hard to look at them in a different light. In Matthew chapter eight, we see grace on display. 
Starting in verse six or so, I think maybe five, it says this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Okay, that in and of itself screams grace. Why? Because we missed the point of that phrase altogether. A Roman, part of the invading army, and the presence of which was the oppression of Israel. The man with all the power, the person with the power, comes to the person without power and says, help me. Culturally, this is, you, you can't, okay, put it in context, okay? Today, put it in context. It is the Russian general in Ukraine who has the power that comes to the Ukrainian and ask for a glass of water. The one with the power asks for help. And then we see, Lord, he said, it's my servant, lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. So the servant of the one with the power is in pain, suffering. And Jesus says to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. It's the explanation of tower building. I have all the See, the thing with building power is there's always something along the way that your power cannot overcome. Always. Somebody gets paralyzed. It's ironic. Yesterday we, we had a moment with a, a guy that got paralyzed and passed away. There's always something in our lives that we cannot control. The illusion is, is that if I build the tower well enough, strong enough, and big enough, I can insulate myself from those things I cannot control. That's the illusion. We all do it. It's what allows us to sleep at night. I have a safe house. I have a safe large bank account, I have several guns, I'm safe, I can protect myself, it's my tower, my kingdom. At some point, every human being comes to the point where they say to Jesus, will you help me? Because my kingdom isn't enough. I can't do this without you. I can't solve this. So how do you think all the Israelite people, the Jewish people, felt when Jesus said, yeah, I'll help you? Think about this for a minute. The centurion is the enemy, and he's occupying their country. Jesus 
heard this, he was amazed and said to this following, following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great, great faith. This passage demonstrates the idea of loving your neighbor. Jesus puts into practice what he says, but he goes beyond that. He says he loves his enemy. He loves his enemy enough to extend grace. And grace is to elevate that who persecutes you to the level of someone I would not only say kind things to, but I would actually use my power to help them. I use my, he uses his power to help the occupying enemy. It wasn't enough for Jesus just to say, you should do this. Do it. He says, this is what it looks like. He embodies the kingdom. And I, I, I try, you know, I try to be, you know, I re- I've read this passage so many times and I, and I still understand the context, but I still can't put myself fully in the place of the Jewish people and say, because I've never lived in an occupied country. I've never lived in that context. I've never had a deep hate for somebody who has occupied and persecuted and done my country harm like this. And then to have the one that I'm following or the one that claims to be the deliverer, the one who is the Messiah, the one who says there's a different kind of kingdom, the one who I believe in my heart was going to be the deliverer, and he comes to the aid of the enemy. Because it's a different kind of kingdom. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I had built. It wasn't what I had hoped for. It actually turns out to be something totally different. And he takes his power and he uses it not to build his own kingdom. You would think the one with all the power would just build his own kingdom. Instead, he gives his power away. in ways that are unexpected. See, what if this was all given to us so that we might give it away in unexpected ways that might even bless those that are our enemies? See, grace intervenes in ways that we can't imagine. See, in the mind of a Jewish person, reciprocity says that that guy deserved to die. He was part of the occupying, controlling, mean-spirited, cruel power that suppressed them. And what does Jesus do? He blesses. In Matthew 9, the story turns again And we get a little insight into Matthew himself, the writer of this gospel. He says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew (laughs) sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, there's so many inappropriate things in here, culturally. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a verse of such great hope for those of us who understand our need for Jesus. It, it's, it's the understanding that even there's, and I know you know this because we've talked about it many times, and I know that Mike has, but you can't miss this. There's two classifications here. There's tax collectors and sinners. So it wasn't good enough just to call tax collectors sinners. Tax collectors had their own special category of sinners. They were sinners, and then there were tax collectors. And the reason that the tax collectors are so vehemently disliked, hated, whatever you want to say about them is this, is because they were, they were Jewish people that, tr that joined the Roman ranks to persecute the Jews. It's bad enough to be Roman. It's bad enough to be in the military. It's bad enough that you persecute us and you bring your army down upon us and you occupy us, but then you turned some of our people against us and incorporated them into the system, the new culture that has dominance over us. We call them tax collectors and they extracted from us money to give to the Romans. Our own people turned on us. Those were the tax collectors. They were the traitors. They weren't just kind of hated. They weren't just tolerated. They were hated. And Jesus just doesn't have a meal with them, which is beyond belief to many of them was he sat down and ate with tax collectors and sinners, which made them all equals. He brought his power to bear on elevating that which was the lowest the most powerful person that ever lived sat with the sinners and the tax collectors and he helped the Romans. Do you know how pissed off people would be? You might not like that phrase, but that phrase speaks to it better than angry. Have you ever seen a really, really angry person? And he takes all of that godness and all of that power and he uses it to give away grace. He doesn't give them what they deserve. He doesn't give them what is coming, what everybody thinks they deserve. He actually gives them blessing. And we start to see the embodiment of the kingdom of God. And what follows in this, this series is next week we get to see his, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion. We begin to recognize that the kingdom of God that is embodied by this person that we know as Jesus, the one with all the power, begins to collide so much with that culture, with that day, with that moment that the only answer for the religious leaders of the day is to kill him. But they didn't have the power to kill him. 
As you read the Gospels, you learn really quick. When I say Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. As you read the story of Jesus, you begin to understand that no one took his life, he gave it. His life wasn't snatched away. Somebody didn't have power over Jesus to crucify him. It was a gift. It's part of the kingdom. Love sacrifices. It's so confusing for the people of the day. I still think it's really confusing to us because our natural tendency is to take our stuff and build our kingdoms one block at a time and say to the most powerful person we know, Jesus, bless my kingdom. Just bless my kingdom. Please bless my kingdom. And he says, how about you take that apart and join mine? Come into my kingdom. Where you don't have to build your own kingdom. Where grace abounds. Where you are an equal. Where what you will find will blow your mind. So Matthew writes about his own calling into being one of the 12. One of the guys that gets to follow Jesus. A tax collector. A sinner among sinners. A category all his own. And the invitation is, come follow me. Come be with me. And I will show you life. And I will show you life filled with grace and mercy and selflessness and love. And don't hear for a minute, easy. It's not what Jesus said, and that's not what we read, and it's not what he experienced, and it's not what we experience. It's not, it's not what the answer to the question was meant to be. The invitation isn't into easy. It's actually into sacrifice. It's into different. It's into change. It's into following the most powerful of all into a place that we never dreamed would come or be. He is the kingdom of God embodied. And he did the unexpected. See, the invitation, here's the invitation, right? The invitation is Jesus saying to us, yeah, this is, let me describe for you the kingdom of God. And oftentimes we think, oh, that is just so out in a place that I can't imagine. And he says, I've come close, I've come up close to you. I'm a part of your life, I'm part of your community, and every time you see an act of grace, you see the kingdom of God. Oftentimes we operate in this idea, I find myself operating in this idea, and if you're anything like me, is that I love the grace of God when it's poured out on me. I love it. I don't get what I deserve. I somehow escape something that I deserve. I love that. One's for me. 
I don't love it for my enemy. I actually don't love it for anybody else. I like it sometimes for other people. Because I think everybody else should get what they deserve. And then I find how small-minded I am, how selfish I really am. And I find in myself a place where I go, I'm missing the kingdom of God. I only want the kingdom of God to apply to me, not to everybody else. And especially not a tax collector or a Roman. But this is the beauty of the kingdom of God. You and I have been invited into the kingdom of God in such a way that all these things that we've been given by God have been given to us so that we can minister grace to one another. And when grace is administered to one another, the kingdom of God is present because it is the operating system of the kingdom of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound when it was exercised on all of you. It's why we celebrate communion. It's why we go to the table every week and we get out one of these little cups, hopefully, in the not-so-distant future, we'll do something different. But we go and we do communion because we say we get to enter into the kingdom of God because of the sacrifice of the one who died for us. Because of the one that said, hey, I'll, I'll create the kingdom. I'll give you the example. I'll show you the way. I'll invite you in. And I'll extend you grace and it doesn't matter if you're a sinner, a tax collector, a Roman. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters only that you are human and that you accept the grace that is extended to you. And then do it to each other. Be people of grace. I want to read one passage of scripture and set you up to go to the table I'm going to invite the band to come up. And this passage is found actually in Philippians chapter 2. And I know this is really cheesy. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, this is what it's supposed to look like when we build our tower. Somehow it's supposed to look like a cross. It's a real simple cross. And it only takes two blocks, Jesus and me. A cross-shaped life. Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but the interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that's grace. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for a few moments that we could have just to be reminded that grace is the great operating system of the kingdom of God. That we're invited into this relationship, not just so that we can experience your grace, but that we could actually give it away. That we could somehow come to the conclusion that our lives are a reflection of really of what you've given us in grace. You've given us so many things we don't deserve. You've extended to us so much and you invite us as people who are followers of you to extend this grace all around us. When we're online, when we're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, when we are in our family gatherings, when we're, when we're at political events, when, we are, when we're at a school board meeting, we are called to be people of grace as it stands in opposition to the dog-eat-dog -dog world that we live in. May we find ourselves bringing the kingdom of God to all those places and to each other. May our homes be filled with grace. May our lives be a reflection of all that you've done for us. And it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. There are stations located around the room. If you're new with us, there you will find the communion. And there you can write your prayer requests. And we encourage you to let us know.